purpose versus preference. My name is Daniel, and I'm a Jew, and I'm 15 years old. I was born in 620 B.C., and my father was a ruler in the Jerusalem council. I really look up to him, and he's allowed me to apprentice with him the last couple of years, being a 15-year-old boy. I have great respect and admiration for our people, for our nation. I have been trained, I've been educated in Jewish theology and a thorough understanding of Hebrew and the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Matter of fact, I've worked hard and I'm one of the few students that memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I love the Torah. I love the stories of the scripture. I really love the story of Joseph. Joseph is one of my heroes. You know how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he found himself as a slave in Potiphar's house. And though he had no rights, no status, he held on to his convictions, his purpose, his principles, and he would not enter in to a central, sinful relationship with Potiphar's wife. So he found himself in prison. Yet Joseph was still strong. He was still a man of conviction. He still believed in Yahweh God. And he was faithful until one day God enabled him to interpret a dream of another individual in jail. And it was found out that he could interpret the dreams. He went before the great Pharaoh and interpret his dreams. And the next thing you know, he's second in command of Egypt. And God used him to preserve and to save the children of Abraham. I love that story. I also love Jeremiah. He's a preacher in our community. He's a prophet. A lot of people think he's crazy, but I think the spirit of God is all over him. And when he speaks, I listen. He says a lot of things are controversial. A lot of people don't like it, but I think there's a lot to Jeremiah. I think he speaks for God. And while I've enjoyed growing up in Jerusalem, being a, a Hebrew, a Jew, I know that there's some things that are going on now that are kind of scary. <clears throat> For a long time, we've been hearing about the rumors of the wars, threats from the Assyrians and threats from the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And now there's been a war between Assyria and Egypt and Babylon. Assyria has pretty much been conquered and the Egyptians lost the war to the Babylonians. And while we supported the Egyptians, hoping that we would find favor should they win the war, they have lost. And now the great Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon is marching toward Jerusalem. Jeremiah has been prophesying about this day that was coming because our people and our forefathers have been unfaithful to Yahweh God. They have broken the covenant. Then God's protection is being removed and certainly that must be what's happening. Jeremiah must be right. 
For now, they are at the gates. And they are offering us a peaceful resolution if we will observe, if we will commit to three things. The first one is we have to agree to pay a tribute, an annual tax to the nation of Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm sure we'll do that. The second one is that they're going to come into the city and they're going to remove many of the things that are most valuable, particularly in the temple. Our golden articles. This is going to be so sad. I love the temple. I love experiencing and worshiping God there, but now it's going to be different. Oh yeah, and there's a third thing that I just learned. They are going to take hostages and they're going to take young men, teenagers and men in their early 20s, a lot of them firstborn sons of Jewish nobility, of royalty, of leaders, those who finished at the top of the classes like I did. I believe that means I certainly will be going. And I hear the cries of people all over the city. And I see my mother coming and my father, and they are crying. They come to me. And my father says, Daniel, your name means God is my judge. Never forget that. They are going to take you to Babylon. But I want you to remember who you are. That you are part of the Cohen family. I want you to remember the Torah. I want you to remember the Psalms of David. And I want you to continually recite them. And let them ruminate in your heart. Think about them when you wake up and when you go to sleep. And no matter what, keep your trust and faith in Yahweh God. He will be with you. And hopefully one day we shall see you again. And as we march to Babylon, a new home, a city, a place that I've never been, those words ring over and over again in my head. I sing the Psalms of David and I recite the words of the Torah. And I pray that God would go with me and before me as I start this next season of my life in a new place, in a manner in which I would never have expected. I have resolved and purposed to trust God no matter what. Now that is the background for the story of Daniel chapter one that we're going to read and look at today. And I wanna challenge you Uh, for the next couple of weeks to read the first three chapters of Daniel. Matter of fact, this week, I want to challenge you to read it each day. Uh, It'd take you about 15 minutes, if that long, and you can read the entire thing. And when you come in each week, you'll have a thorough understanding of what we're talking about and what's going on. So as we look at this text, we'll notice that Daniel and three of his friends, they uh, are centered on the word of God, we call it the Logos now. The Logos, the the word of God. And that's what enables Daniel to have great strength, great wisdom, as the pathos, the spirit of God, flows through his word. 
and strengthens him and enables him to stand firm in a culture that's not his own, in a culture that's very much into the opposite of all that he values in life. And then that enables him to live out the ethos, the ethics of God's kingdom before mankind. Their convictions, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Hebrew names, are built on that conviction from the word of God, the authority of scripture, the spirit of God, that passion that runs within them, and the ethos, their honorability as they live before God Almighty. If you have your Bible, let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, as we see the supremacy of God. And today, as we look at the purpose versus preference. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar is now the most powerful man to the known world. And Babylon is the strongest army and will become the largest city in the world. And he has now set siege and besieged Jerusalem in the greater Judean area. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar. Shinar is a segment of Babylon, like Texas is a part of the United States, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of God. So what has happened here? The Bible specifically says that Jehoiakim has been handed. In other words, God's hand of protection and favor is no longer protecting the people of Israel. The natural consequences of their sin because they have broken covenant with God. Now they have lost the protection of God. And now Nebuchadnezzar comes in freely and takes many of the brightest and the best and carts them off to Babylon along with treasures from the temple. And he puts them in his temple, showing his superiority or thus thinking so anyway. And then the king commanded Aspenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans, again, this is a, another culture inside Babylon. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated three years. And at the end of this time, they were to stand before the king. And among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chiefs of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, which means a servant of Bel. Bel was the wife of the chief god, Murdoch. Then Hanari calls Shadrach, which is the moon god, one of their other gods. Mishael, also of the moon god. He is to be a servant of the moon god. And Azariah, uh, he is to be a servant of Nebo. These are all gods in their culture. 
And so their names reflected Yahweh God. Their names had been, of course, and were Hananiah, the Lord is gracious, Mishael, who is like Yahweh God, and Azariah, the Lord is my helper. And of course, Daniel, God is my judge. And now they're given pagan names. And so we see what's happening here. Nebuchadnezzar's policy is if people will peacefully surrender, then this is typically how it goes. He'll take some of the brightest and best from them, particularly the young men, and he'll bring them into Babylon, and he's going to assimilate them into the culture. And he's doing two things. He's accomplishing two things here. Number one, uh, those nations are going to be less likely to rebel if they know their sons are in his courts and that their lives might be endangered. Number two, he's going to take the best and the brightest, and he's going to assimilate them in the culture until one day there's not anything left of their culture, but he does it in a peaceful manner. Plus, he gets to capitalize on their wisdom and upon their skill sets. So that's what's transpiring here. So his method of assimilating is this. Number one, he brings them to Babylon. They have a new home. Number two, he's going to give them a new education. He's going to indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylonian religion and Babylonian culture, as well as Babylonian science and languages and mathematics. Thirdly, he's, had, he's given them new names. Your name did reflect Yahweh, but now your name in this particular instance reflects our God, causing confusion. And then fourthly, He's going to change their diet. And for Daniel, for Hananiah, for Mishael, and Azariah, this would constitute a compromise because they were God-fearing Jews who observed Levitical law. And there were foods, unclean foods, that they were not to eat. Certainly any kind of pork, or catfish, shellfish, they were not to eat. This was, God had called them to be unique, to be holy, to be set apart, and their diet was to be different. But yet, this is what the Babylonian empire is leading them to do. We're going to change your home. We're going to indoctrinate you. We're going to change your name. We're going to change your diet. And Daniel is doing this in a culture that's not only foreign to him, but that is in complete opposition to what he values, to his principles, to his faith. There's a great message for us today right here. This is a message for Daniel's time. This is a message for all of history. It's a message for today. And so as we look at this, let's see how Daniel responds to a culture that is in complete opposition to what he values. How does he handle it? Well, it's interesting. This is how he handles it. This is how he responds. In verse eight, but Daniel resolved. The King James version that I learned and that I studied before says purposed. Daniel determined, he purposed. He made up his mind that these were his values and he was not going to go with the preferences of, of anyone else 
he was going to be resolved. So Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now he's made this decision internally. That's what it means to purpose. He has these convictions, these principles, these tenets, if you want to call them, that he is not going to compromise, that he's going to live by. But how does he do that? In a culture where not only is it not his home, but he is basically a slave, a hostage in this culture. He has no rights. He has no true voice. How do you handle yourself in a situation where you're not just the minority, but you have no rights as a minority? Well, this is how Daniel handled it. And this is probably a great lesson for us on how we handle it when we're in difficult situations. The first thing that I see Daniel doing is found right here in verse eight. It says that he asked the chief of the units to allow him not to defile himself. He asked. He asked in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of respect. He asks and he shows humility and he lets him know this is a conviction. This is important to me. This is a high value for me. So Daniel shows humility. He asks and he communicates the importance, the conviction. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. God honors this spirit of trust, of faith, of commitment, of conviction. And he has favor in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see that you were worse conditioned than the other youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants. So what has Daniel done? He has no choice about where he is. He's been shackled and brought there. He doesn't have a choice about whether he can attend class or not. He is forced to be in class. He doesn't have a big choice about what people call him. But he does have some exercise over what he eats. The last of his Jewish identity. So he politely, with much humility, asks. And he must have been persistent in his ask because he asked multiple people. We see he asked two people here. It wasn't a one time. And he shares his conviction and how important it is to him. And then we see the last piece. Daniel responds when they say, hey, you would jeopardize us. You, we could lose our head over this. Daniel says, then test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food be observed and you deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel has obviously been praying. We know Daniel is a great man of prayer as we read through this book. 
Daniel has been faithful to the Torah and faithful uh, to the Jewish law all the days of his life. He's been a faithful follower of the Torah. And he is sincere. He is honest. He is respectful. But also we see his persistence along with his conviction. And God has granted him wisdom. Daniel has probably been praying about this over and over and over again and asking God to give him wisdom. And he feels led to say, test me. Would you be open to a test? And because of his attitude, because of his work ethic, because of his character, it is agreed that this test will take place. Because it said, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the food. Now let's stop for just a moment. Um, the word here uh, in the Hebrew, zenanoth, it means uh, vegetables. It literally means plant-based is literally what it means. So it would have been anything that was plant-based. You know, plant, some of you have a plant-based diet. That's not what this sermon's about. Don't, don't impose that on me today. But, uh, but nevertheless, so it would include beans and nuts and grains and fruits and vegetables. And so this is what Daniel is saying. Hey, instead of us eating pork, Instead of us eating all this fatty food from the king, which many scholars believe probably had been dedicated to one of the gods that they worshiped first before it came to the Hebrew slaves, I'm going to ask you, would you try this? Would you test? And if this doesn't work, then I will be at your disposal. But would you test us and see if our health is not good? And they said, look, if we do this, you're going to look leaner, you're going to look worse, and we're going to be in trouble. He said, try it. Testis. And so for 10 days, they eat the grain, they eat the nuts, they eat the fruit, they eat the vegetables. And at the end of the 10 days, it literally says that the word there we see in verse 15 says their parents, uh, they, had, they looked better in appearance and were fatter in flesh. Now, uh, that's probably an unfortunate word uh, in our culture to use right there because that word uh, berry literally means this. It means robust. It means strong. It means healthy. And so that word fat is not so much excess, but that fullness. And so at the end of this time, they look healthier. They look more robust. And God hears his prayer and answers. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, just as Joseph did. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. In other words, he outlives Nebuchadnezzar. He outlives multiple administrations and is there when Cyrus comes in and 
eventually frees the Jews. And why is that? Because he chose to be resolved, to live by principle, conviction, and what he valued from the Lord God as opposed to preference from what the crowd, from what his culture was saying at the time. We don't read about any other teenagers. Apparently, uh, they were living high on the hog, uh, so to speak. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we read about today because they purposed in their heart to trust God and to live according to his principles. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us practically today? How do we live this out in 2022 in Flower Mound, Texas? Well, let me give you one application. Let me give you an opportunity. And I want to talk for just a brief second and want to encourage you to take advantage and to participate in one of the basic rights that you've been given as an American citizen. And that is voting. This is just one example. Now, I never tell people, I never use this pulpit to endorse a candidate or to help people who to vote for. But I do believe there is a process that we should go through. For Daniel, uh, matter of fact, there's a passage of scripture, uh, that, a chapter that most of us are familiar, familiar with, uh, from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. In 29, in verse 7, we see that Daniel and all those who were exiles were told by Jeremiah to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what is he telling him? He said, I know you're in a different culture. I know you're in a different place. And this is not what you've chosen. But I want you to pray for the city. I want you to pray for the country. And I want you to work for the welfare and the good of the people overall. For in it, you will find your welfare. Matter of fact, Jeremiah 29, 11, that we love to quote so much, in its proper context is right here. This is who Jeremiah was talking about in Jeremiah 29, 11. Those like Daniel who were being exiled, those who would be exiled from Judah, who would be brought to Babylon. In that context, we know Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Even though it's outside of your culture. It's outside of the world that you've grown comfortable with because God has a plan. It's about the preservation of his kingdom, his people. And though many of them will die before they're ever allowed to return, it doesn't change the fact that God is sovereignly in control and that he wants them to live faithfully and to work for the good of the, all mankind in the city where they belong or where they are to reside. Now, so what does that mean for us? Well, in that day, Daniel didn't have a lot of options. You show, saw how he had to stand. But for us today, we can vote. Now, most people, the way that they go about this process of voting is they do it usually one of four ways. Who's popular? That's a big one. 
you know, personality. Do I like that personality? What about that personally? What is this going to, what's this guy going to, or this woman going to do for me or party? That's how most people decide. That's how 99% of Americans decide who they're going to vote for. But I would say, if you are a follower of Christ, that you ought to do it differently. What should we do? Well, I think, first of all, we ought to pray and we ought to do our homework. Are you researching? I'm not talking about the news channel that you happen to be watching or advertisements. As a matter of fact, I think it'd be a good idea to just turn that off for a while, okay? What you probably should do, though, is research. Find out what the issues are, what the platforms are, what you value, and then find out uh, where these people stand. And pray and ask God to give you wisdom and discernment. So number one, pray. Do your homework and pray. Number two, what are your principles? What are the things that you value most? What are your non-negotiables in your life? What are the things that you feel are very important? Where do the candidates stand on those principles? You can find this information. There are a couple of sites I'll give you at the end. One of them's an independent, ivoterguide.com. You can go there and it'll show you all the, all, all, all the uh, platforms of each individual and where they stand on issues. Number three, what are their policies? Do their policies respect, respect your values? What are they implementing? What are they for? What are they against? And number four, their past record. How have they voted in the past? I know you're gonna find this hard to believe, but sometimes people say one thing to get elected and then they do another. It's happened before. Amazing, isn't it? And if you haven't done your homework, you, you shouldn't be surprised. If you go back and look, the best, uh, the best example or the best uh, knowledge that you can have is where people have voted in the past, how they've responded, what they've supported in the past. So, and then pray again. So prayer, principles, policy, past record, and then pray some more. I think if you do that, you can make a decision that goes along with your values and your principles. I think you can go with that conviction and you can know, but it takes some time and, and walk through the process. Don't get distracted by the mailers you get and the TV commercials. Find out the principles, the policies, past record, and pray. I know some of you are not happy. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. <laughs> um, but I do believe, I believe it's critical uh, as an American citizen, as a believer, that you vote. Because I, I believe scripture, uh, if that was true in Jeremiah's day, I believe that principle still applies to us today. You can see Romans 13. We could look at a myriad uh, of positions. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, I've got two people in my family who just refuse to vote. They won't vote in any election. I mean, that just breaks my heart. Uh, why would you not take advantage of that voice that God has given you that people literally have died for? And as believers, how can we neglect and turn our face on such a great opportunity? Woo, man. Um, if you don't vote, please don't tell me, all right? Uh, I'd let's vote differently, but, but vote, okay? Vote, exercise that right that God has allowed you to have. So uh, as we conclude, uh, there's a poem that I love by Edgar Guest. And I think it's very appropriate. And, uh, and by the way, uh, we have a table outside. If you've not registered to vote, 
Uh, I encourage you to go register. You can just take that with you and register and vote as God leads you. Uh, but that table will be outside at the end of the service. And then there are two websites. Uh, the first one is uh, very independent. Uh, and my plate, the second one uh, is a uh, more of a Christian uh, voting organization and just list, still list all the issues. So those are two places that you can do research should you choose to want to use those. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are men who live their creeds, for to see a good put into action is what everybody needs. The story of Daniel was an encouragement to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the man who resisted Hitler and the Nazi movement and was killed because of it. It was said that Bonhoeffer would read uh, certainly biblical characters of faith, but even historical. And when that time came that he had to make the stand, when he had had the opportunity to come to the United States of America, but chose to stay in Germany and work with the resistance. And when that day came to die, not wanting to, but ready to, because of the faith, he said, that had been demonstrated through the scriptures, through, through men like Daniel. Uh, psychologists now tell us, as a matter of fact, there was a professor at New York University that was talking about how stories uh, shape our character and our values. That's one of the reasons we're studying Daniel. That's one of the reasons that the Bible gives us so many characters and shows us warts and all and how they struggled through their faith process. We can be encouraged and we can know this, that the same God who worked and supported and strengthened Daniel supports and works and strengthens us today when we take that step of faith and determine to live by purpose and not by preference. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. And Lord, I pray that as believers that we would stand firm upon the principles, that we would stand firm in faith, that we would honor you, that we would take advantage of the opportunities uh, to have the peace of God and the gospel of Christ Jesus shown throughout the land and throughout our nation. Lord, I pray that we would be people of prayer, and conviction that we would be purposed in heart and not simply be led astray by preferences of our culture and of our own flesh. May we be faithful to you, O Lord, and we thank you for this beautiful example through Daniel, your prophet. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.